Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I am just taking a tiny break from packing right now. In two days, I am leaving for my best friend's wedding vacation. She's having a destination wedding in Mexico, and this is also going to be my first sober vacation. It's also my first vacation since the pandemic, so I'm feeling lots of feels this week. I'm so excited for the trip and for the wedding. I feel like we've been waiting so long for this day to come, and yeah, I'm just so excited to be heading to Mexico on Friday. What you can expect when I'm back is an episode on how the trip went, what was it like traveling to an all-inclusive resort without drinking alcohol, what kind of non-alcoholic drinks I brought, and what recommendations I may have for you moving forward if you have a trip planned in the books. So that is TBD. This week, I have another amazing conversation to share with you. My guest on the show is Tani Lara, and she goes by The Sober Sexpert. Tani shares her sobriety journey that started with a promise to herself on her 30th birthday to take one year off of drinking, which has now led her to living a fully sober life. We talk about the party girl lifestyle, self-medicating with alcohol, and we really get into a topic that a lot of people are often too shy to talk about, sex. Tani has such great advice about dating yourself, romancing yourself, and having sex in sobriety. Let's get into it. Tani, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, my love. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yeah, I feel like you have the information that everyone wants to hear on (laughs) (laughs) such an important topic and something that like really our lives are centered around and that's sex. 100%. I mean, I, I've always been drawn to writing about and talking about taboo subjects. So like, I, I love talking about sex and money and, you know, any, anything that, that society has deemed taboo, I'm like, let's, let's uncover that a little bit. Yeah. Let's pick that apart. So yes. you are known as the sober sex pert. I would love to know, first off, how did you come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I cannot take credit for that. Uh, Ruby Warrington, who is mm. the, you know, iconic author of sober curious. She came up with the term sober curious. That is literally everywhere now. Um, I, she and I quit drinking in New York city around the same time. We were both hosting sober uh, or alcohol free social events. And we, we connected around that time and no one could have predicted how big sober curious would have become. Um, but at one of we did an event together where it was about sober sex and dating. And she introduced me as the sober sexpert. And I just, I thought that was so cheeky and mm-hmm. funny. And so I just really leaned into it. And, um, you know, I, I do kind of struggle with the term just because like, I want to be fully honest. I'm not a mental health professional. I am not I am not a trained sex educator, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, everything that I, you know, the expertise that I bring or the sexpertise that I bring (laughs) is truly from personal experience and being a journalist who just does deep dives and nerds out on stats and facts. And so, you know, just, I want to be very clear on what type of expertise we're talking about. Yeah. It's a lived experience, a personal experience. 
I love that. And so for the sober part of that, how can you tell us a little bit about what your relationship to alcohol was like, how long you've been sober, how that blended into your sex expertise? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, so I quit drinking at age 29. Um, but you know, before that I was, I was your stereotypical party girl. I mean, you girl dancing on the bar, woo to, you know, listening to Kesha and just <laughs> like, I, I was that girl. Um, I was a bartender. I, when, when I wasn't bartending, I was on the other side of the bar or on the actual bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I was always around a bar. Um, but I, I'm making it sound a, li- a lot more lighthearted than it actually was. I mean, yes, I was a party girl, but looking back, I can see that I was self-medicating what I now know as depression and anxiety and PTSD and just didn't, I didn't have the tools to deal with life, mm-hmm. um, in a, in a proper manner. I didn't know. I didn't really know. I didn't have the words to describe what I was going through. I just knew that I hated how it felt. So I did anything I could to escape from it. And, um, you know, a, a common, uh, guess misnomer about getting sober is that everything gets better when you stop drinking and my life definitely got better, but all of those issues that I just mentioned, the depression, the anxiety, the PTSD, it's still there. You know, I still have to deal with that every day. Um, now I've just developed healthier coping mechanisms. So I think that that is, that's a really important part, whether you're sober curious, doing a dry month or you're 20 years in recovery, you know, like it's, it's important to acknowledge for a lot of people, alcohol use disorder really comes from undiagnosed mental health issues and self-medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was the, a party girl. It grew up in Waco, Texas. <laughs> and, um, when I, I moved to New York city in 2015 to, uh, pursue writing and, that was really the first time that I looked at my drinking, uh, through other people's eyes. You know, Mm -hmm. I I was no longer hanging out with other party girls. I was not a bartender anymore. I was taking writing classes and going to literary events. And, you know, if we had a drink afterward, people, people would look at me crazy because like I was at the bar ordering around a shots and people would be like, what are you, do- what are you doing? Like, we're it's just Wednesday. having a day. Glass- <laughs> yeah. We're just having a glass of wine. <laughs> like what? Yeah. So that was the first time that I, you know, I, I drank out away from my party girlfriends. So it really kind of hit me in the face of like, oh, maybe there's something unhealthy about the way that you drink, you know, mm-hmm. like I always, I always knew I drank a lot. But if you're not challenged, if you're drinking the way that your friends are drinking, it's really difficult to see that it's problematic. Yeah. So, you know, I had to physically leave that situation. Um, and on, uh, you know, I woke up one day, um, and I was just like, I'm really sick of feeling like this. I'm sick of feeling hungover. You know, I was like, I had this really cinematic moment looking in the mirror of like, my face was bloated and I had yesterday's mascara flaked onto my cheeks and, I was just like, this isn't cute anymore. It probably never was. And um, I was it's like, I'm like that scene of a movie, like from yes. a movie the next day looking at yourself and yes. just like, I can totally understand that feeling. It it really was like, it had this cinematic experience, like almost stereotypical, like a textbook experience of like, I had that moment of realization. And, um, I've, you know, and that was around the same time that I realized I am complaining about not having enough time to write, but I'm spending all of this time drinking and recovering from drinking. So, you know, this is, it all started to click around this time. So I decided to give up alcohol for a week, two weeks, then my 30th birthday was coming up. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to give up alcohol for one year and I'm going to blog about it. Um, So I started a blog called sobrietyparty.com, sobrietyea. Cute. And <laughs> thank you. I, I I was very proud of that. I was like, this is cute. Um, and that was really that blog 
held me accountable a to not drink and b to write you know so it it was a very mutually um beneficial so that was that was really the beginning to you know there would be no podcast or sober sexpert or book <laughs> or you know any of the the work that i have now because of my recovery um it all started with that blog and with that desire to just to just try and just see, to just remove alcohol from my life and just see what happened. And did you have any fears that you wouldn't be able to make it that full year? Because it's such a, like, it's not like it's a month off. You're trying to take two weeks just to reassess. A year is a really long time when yeah. you're in that <laughs> drinking cycle. It is. Like and it's, you know, it feels unimaginable. <laughs> and I look back and I still, I'm still kind of like, can't believe I did that. Um, the huge accomplishment it, it, it was, you know, it really was. And I'm really proud of what I did in that year. And I had, I really planned on drinking again, you know, on my 31st birthday, I was like, mm. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, this, that was the plan. Um, but I'm, I, as, as a journalist, I, I, I'm very, I mean, I'm an experiential journalist. Like I like to write about what I'm doing and mm -hmm. use my experience as part of the research. So yes, the idea of doing it for a year was very scary, but I, I'm also like a very uh, type A Capricorn who was like, ch like bet that I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I love that. <laughs> wow. And so you never drank again after that one year? I've never drank. And, um, you know, I've, I've accidentally taken two sips at different, like I've accidentally drank an alcoholic beer when I thought it was non-alcoholic, sure. like just one sip. Yeah. And those were very strange moments, but I consciously was like, I'm not going to let this mean something. This was mm -hmm. a mistake. I'm not this, you know, it wasn't an intentional decision. Yeah. It wasn't intentional. Like I was at a restaurant, I ordered a non-alcoholic beer. They brought me the wrong one. And after one sip, I told the server, he felt so bad. I was like, it's fine. Just, just bring me the non-alcoholic one, you know, yeah, and let's not make this into a big deal. Yeah. Cause I, it, it really, it would be really easy to make it into a big deal. Yeah. Very or to easy. use it as an excuse to go back to drinking. And I do actually hear a lot that there people have fear about going out to restaurants and bars and getting non-alcoholic options, especially mocktails, something mm -hmm. that comes in a glass that doesn't have the label right on it. Yep. And wondering if maybe is there alcohol in this? And I, I still feel that way. You know, I, I just celebrated seven years without alcohol. Thank you. Um, and that was, I, I still deal with that where I'm like, I'm at a restaurant. I'm like, oh yes, they have mocktails. This is so exciting. And then like, when I order it, I'm like, I, I'm like, please make sure it's the non-alcoholic version. Even, and then when they deliver it, I'm like, there's no alcohol in this, right? They're like, no, yeah. I, I, I made sure. <laughs> but that is a very valid fear because that does, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you are in your recovery, in your mental health, whatever's going on in your life, if you order a virgin drink and you taste the rum, it could lead to another, another drink and then another drink. Mm -hmm. And then it could be a really dangerous downward spiral. And for that reason, I completely understand why people do not do non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah. I, I love it. I think for me, the thriving non-alcoholic drink scene is actually a really big part of my sobriety toolkit. It keeps me, me sober. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and, but I completely understand why some people just can't go there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk sex. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it's like, we can say anything we want on this podcast. Like there are no boundaries or limits. So I feel like there is such a link between alcohol, dating, and sex. Like the mm -hmm. three are meshed together in our society. You can't do one without the other, it seems, or that's what society has told us. So are you also a dating expert or do you primarily specialize in the sex portion? I would say more sex and relationships. I mm -hmm. fucking hate hated dating. I hated it. 
so much. Like it, yeah. I, I, I'm very grateful that I, I found a partner who's also in recovery. Um, but he loved the love dating. And I think he's crazy because he was <laughs> like, it's just fun to get to know people. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay. Um, I, I never liked it. I never liked the apps. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, in, in my book, I do talk about, you know, it's about dating sex and relationships. Yeah. So for any time that I talk about dating, this is where the journalist comes in. I'm like, I don't, I'm, I want to talk. I want to read statistics. I want to talk to actual dating experts because that is not me. I could talk mm-hmm. about libido. I could talk about, you know, I can get pretty raunchy with you and I could talk about the importance of communication in a relationship, yeah. but dating dude. yeah I feel the same I also agree dating is a fucking nightmare like also like trying to do it sober online like fucking nightmare but yeah like let's say you did find somebody you're interested in you're ready to like quote-unquote take that next step and have sober sex like how do you get over that awkward feeling at the beginning that comes along with it yeah, I, it, that's such an important question. And it pro- it's probably the most common question that mm-hmm. I hear. Um, and, you know, it, I hate to give this answer, but I really think that the the importance, the it, I cannot overestimate um, the importance of communication and really standing up for yourself. And b- But before you even do any of that, before you even go on a sober date, you have to spend time alone. You have to spend time. Like I, I like, I call it dating yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that can mean exploring a hobby in early sobriety, or, you know, if you're doing a dry month or, you know, really connecting with yourself, um, leaning into your friendships, you know, nurturing your, your friendships, your existing relationships, Um, I am a huge advocate for masturbation, especially for women or people assigned female at birth who have been, you know, we've been conditioned that to believe that we're not sexual, that Mm -hmm. our job is to please men. So get to know your own body, you know, like however long it takes when you're in early recovery or early sober curiosity, spend time alone and really, you know, romance yourself, get to know yourself treat yourself to new toys, light some candles, like take yourself out to a nice dinner that you like really romance yourself. And the the reason to for doing all of these things is to get to know yourself on a deeper level without alcohol, because the more you know about yourself, the more confident you're going to become. And the more you're going to bring to a date, you're mm. going to know you're going to know what you want to have for dinner. You're going to know what you want to drink with that dinner. You're going to know what you want in bed when you when it does get to the point of having sex or hooking up. You're going to know your body a little bit more and you're going to feel a little bit more confident asking for what you want. So I think that 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 spending the time alone is is absolutely crucial. And and it also, it really gives you a chance to hone in on that voice of like, yeah, sober sex can be really freaking awkward, especially if it's like someone ca- with someone casual, you know, it's there's sober sex with your partner and then there's sober sex with like, you're hooking up with someone, you know, maybe you don't have that solid communication uh, foundation yet. So you really do have to advocate for yourself, which is so hard because we were never taught how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love like what you said about like romancing yourself, getting to know yourself so that you can find out what you like, what you want. And when you are showing up to these experiences sober, you're going to be a lot more in tune with, do I actually want to do this? Or like, Mm -hmm. I'm not just drunk and doing it because it's fun and feels risky. Like I am sober and tuned in to all of my body, how I'm feeling. So you can really like make that decision based on who that person is. Yes, yes, absolutely. And like, you know, the whole liquid courage conversation comes up so much. And I, the, the thesis of my book is, is really talking about how liquid courage is a facade. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not activating something or it's not turning you into someone that you're not. If anything, it's just enhancing 
these inhib these inhibitions, you know, like you're yeah. losing your in you're losing your inhibitions. Um, and we need that we need inhibitions. I hate to break it to you, but we need those inhibitions to stay safe. Um, that doesn't mean like to be rigid, but you it is important to stay conscious mm-hmm. for consent. Um, but you know, it's 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 a really it's a really tricky gray area, but um with, you know, with liquid courage, we're taught, you know, there's this cute guy at the bar. I want to hit on him, but I don't know how, so I'm going to take a shot. So, and it's like, but the alcohol, all the alcohol is doing is getting rid of those nerves. There's so many other ways to do that, you know? And like, that's, and again, that's why I'm talking about spending time alone. So you can really get to know yourself and, re- and then you'll really understand, wait, I deserve that hot guy over there. I deserve to go talk to him and he would be lucky to talk to me. You know, I, yeah. you don't, you don't need alcohol to make you to synthesize that feeling. That's like, it's just a shortcut and it's probably not going to lead to a meaningful connection. It, who knows? For it could, sure. it never did with me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same. And I feel like for such a large part of my life, like I was also that party girl working in a nightclub, going out all the time, really like, let's say letting my hair down and engaging in probably like risky sexual behaviors, like as they would be classified. And I always said like, I'm a really sexual person. Like, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I want this partner blah, 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 blah. But after actually removing alcohol from my life, doing some self work, evaluating like truly what my values are. It's like, oh no, like that's actually attachment trauma. (laughs) Like that's not. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's like, I, I'm definitely a sexual person, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm also in my self work in recovery. I'm realizing that I definitely misused sex. I used it as validation as Mm -hmm. manipulation. Um, so a lot of, a lot of my dating myself has been a big part, a big part of it has been unlearning some of those really toxic behaviors. Like you're talking about, like these attachment traumas and I can fix this person or, you know, if, if they just touch me, then I'll feel better about myself. And, you know, this is so common, especially for women. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just kind of went off on a tangent, but, um, yeah, but you're so right. And it's also <laughs> like that huge link to like your perceived value, your self-worth. And if you're getting that sexual attraction, like it means you're worthy and you're sexy yes. and like, and that's all that matters. But yeah, I don't even know where we're going with this, but <laughs> well, it's, I think it's an important conversation because we're talking about, you know, these societal and cultural mm-hmm. alcohol and sex norms that we've just normalized, but that doesn't mean that's the only way to go about life, you know? And I, I'm not saying give up alcohol forever. I'm not, I'm, you know, do whatever works for you, but it, it could help your sex life, your dating life. If you just, even if you don't stop drinking and you just take notice, why am I having a drink before I meet this person on a date? Why is my go-to always let's grab a drink, mm-hmm. you know, like just getting present, talk, talking about that with a therapist or with your friends, you know, like that's, that is sober curiosity, you know, like that's really yeah. what's, what Ruby was, was talking about is like, I'm just curious about the role alcohol plays in my life. So to, you know, narrow that down even more, I'm curious about the role alcohol plays in my sex life. Mm-hmm. And like, let's be real, drunk sex is not usually good sex. No, and people love to say that it is. And it's, again, it's because it's uninhibited. Yeah. But like, there's so many other ways to access really fun uh, connection, you know, yeah. and drunk sex can be very dangerous. You could put yourself in situations that are dangerous Um, that doesn't mean that you deserve anything that happens to you just because you're drunk. I want to be very clear about that. Um, there's some people that think, oh, well, she was drunk. She got what Mm -hmm. was coming to her. Hell no. That, that, no, I don't stand for that. Um, but you know, it's definitely, if I will say, if you are 
binge drinking, blacking out, and then maybe having sex with people that you don't know, or you're waking up next to people that you've never seen before, that might be a really great conversation with a therapist or with your doctor, you know, and, and I'm not shaming you at all. I've done it many, many, many times. (laughs) We've, we've, a lot of us have done it. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It's there might be you, but you could definitely benefit from taking a step back and looking at how alcohol and sex intersect in your life. Yeah, definitely. So how much better is sober sex? (laughs) You know, it's great. Um, and it's, it's, um, but I want to be very transparent. It's awkward at first. Mm-hmm. Everything's awkward at first in sobriety, like and everything. Also just like in new relationships in general, it's awkward. Yes. So you just add on that layer of sobriety when maybe yeah. you're still getting your footing, like it's going to be awkward. I mean, it's exactly, I'm glad you brought that up because it's like, sure. Drunk sex can be fun, I guess. But like, why? But I think like the question is, why is it fun? Like, that's the question for you, for, you know, the listener. Why is, why do you think drunk sex is so fun? Um, then there's no right or wrong answer. It's, it's whatever mm-hmm. it means to you. Um, and so the same thing with sober sex, it's like, you know, understanding that alcohol is a depressant and while you're drinking it to, you know, relax or numb your feelings, you're also numbing your nerves. You're numbing your body. You're not feeling pleasure that like, you're not maximizing the pleasure you can experience. And that is huge. Like people don't realize that. Like you think drunk sex, do you think drunk sex is better? Imagine actually feeling everything Mm -hmm. that your sexual partner is doing to your body. Like that's fucking, that's powerful sex, you know? Um, And, you know, alcohol is, it, it can dehydrate you. It can lead to vaginal dryness. It can lead to erectile dysfunction, you know, and this is, I'm talking like drinking to excess. I'm not talking about having a glass of wine or having a beer. Like that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about binge drinking. We're talking about drunk sex. So really understanding, you know, again, understanding your body and what you like without alcohol is going to make your sex life so much better. Even if you're just Mm -hmm. doing a dry month and you spend that month really examining the role alcohol uh, plays in your sex life, even when you start drinking again, you're not going to forget that stuff that you learned. Yeah. And I think that it also, there's also kind of like a shift in, I, I mean, I've noticed it in my sexual experiences that when I was binge drinking and having sex with these people, it was all about them and kind of like, not what can I like get from them, but how can my performance here make them Girl. like me? And now <laughs> it's about what are you going to do for me here? <laughs> like, retweet a hundred retweets right there. Like that I, in, uh, got a couple years ago, I, I guess it was considered early sobriety. I wrote an article about how I stopped faking orgasms when I, when I stopped drinking because yeah. of exactly what you're talking about. There was this performative element to my sexual experiences. Don't get me wrong. I had a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do anything I didn't want to do. But it was like there's a there's an author, Melissa Phoebos, who uh, highly recommend her her books, her work. She's incredible. But she created this term called um, her book called Girlhood. She has this term called empty consent. That oh, I think I've read that. You probably have. She's the label pink, like the yes, yeah, okay, yes. She's amazing, but like she's also sober. And that when I heard that word or that term, I was just that really, really resonated with me of like, yeah, I consented and I did some, some stuff, but like, it wasn't for me. It was because I want like, that's what I'm talking about of using sex as a form of validation. I just wanted to make that person like me more, (laughs) you know? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to please somebody else. Like that's amazing. And that's a really powerful part of a sexual experience. But like you said, now it's about, now it's more mutually beneficial when back then I didn't have the audacity to ask for what I wanted or gently move their hand where I wanted it to be. Yeah, It was, Hey, I'm here to perform for you. <laughs> yeah. And I really hope you like me. Like yeah. now it's like, do I like them? Do I want to spend more time with them? Do I want to give those parts of myself to yes. this person? 
Yeah. And if, you know, and I am all for, you know, casual sex, if that is fulfilling Mm -hmm. for you, um, I it's just make sure that you're doing it for you. You you know, like that, that's the thing that, that to me, that's what true sexual liberation is, is really figuring out what you want and knowing that you deserve that. And that can mean going to sex parties and having an orgy. And it can also mean (laughs) realizing that you might be on the asexual spectrum and you don't really like sex that much. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that is also sexual liberation. Yeah. Just finding out what really what it is you like. So do you think that let's say in early sobriety, if there is this almost like a transition where you're cutting out alcohol and maybe these other behaviors that you did when you were drinking that were, let's say, quote unquote, toxic. Now you're sober, going on sober dates, and you almost want to engage in this like sexual activity with somebody even more because you want that same like rush or adrenaline Mm -hmm. rush. I feel like that was an experience I had when I first tried to get sober. I was on the apps. This was like during, I kind of stopped and started a few times. So this was in 2021. I was on the apps and I was going on these like sober dates. Like I was sober one time a guy was drinking and I feel like so almost like embarrassed, like saying this. (laughs) (laughs) And he wasn't really my type, but I was like, I want to fuck this person. And it was almost like, I wanted to like have like that thrill of like having sex with a stranger and maybe somebody that I wouldn't have a relationship with because I felt like, Mm -hmm. I had like not lost like this excitement, but it's like that adrenaline rush of those, I I, guess, like drunken go home experiences. You know, I, I had a similar experience. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I went, I was going through a breakup and I was, I I was broken up with, and I had plans to go to a concert with a, a girlfriend that night. And I was just like, I was too numb to actually process being broken up with. And I was like, I'm going to hook up with a stranger tonight. So I went to this concert and I found the most perfect person. He was, he was this asshole. He was (laughs) wasted. He, he was someone that there's like, there's absolutely no possibility that I will develop feelings for this person. You know, like that was exactly what I needed. And at the time I would like, we, we hooked up. He like, we had really crazy drunk sex because he was fucked up, but yeah. I was completely sober. And I was like, okay, I guess you can still have really fun drunk sex when you're sober. <laughs> um, and then, you know, now I think about that. I'm like, ethically, is that okay? Like to, cause if the, if, if the roles were reversed, mm. if it was a sober man having sex with a wasted woman, I don't know that I would feel that that's sexual empowerment. (laughs) That's a really interesting point. (laughs) I don't know. I don't, I don't even, I don't know the answer to that, but that, you know, that's something that I experienced and I felt empowered by it because I was able to advocate for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I was able to have, I was able to have fun and just let sex be sex. Um, and I was, I, didn't see him again. You know, like that, that was what I, we were, it was, I knew what it was. Yeah. We knew, we both knew what it was. Like, I'm not going to date this person. He's shit faced on a Tuesday and coked out. Like, where can this, where can this go? (laughs) I'm surprised his dick worked. Same, honestly, same, but the sex was really hot and I don't regret it. It was a great time. Ethically. I don't know. I don't know. I still wonder. Yeah. Interesting. And so what does your, the changes in libido happen after you remove alcohol? Does it increase, decrease? You know, this is such a nuanced question because it's, I think it could just depend. It's, it's so personal to the person because it, it's also worth mentioning the role that medication plays in libido. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I got on Lexapro at around five years sober and, uh, for my, for my anxiety and my libido dropped heavily. And that was really, really difficult for me as a very sexual person. 
Um, and the reason that I bring that up is because, you know, like we talked about earlier is a lot of people that are binge drinking, they're self-medicating undiagnosed mental health issues. That was, Mm -hmm. that was me. So once, once I got sober, once I started therapy and was officially diagnosed and tried out different medications, my libido changed quite a bit. So, you know, it's like, you can't say your libido is going to increase once you quit drinking because it's so different for each person where, you know, for me, I found a healthier relationship with sex where I technically have a lower libido, but I'm also not overvaluing sex anymore. I'm not, you know, I have a partner now, but like even in when in early in our relationship, I was like, oh my God, he doesn't want to have sex right now. What's wrong with me? How can I get that attention from him? And so like, I had to really work through that in therapy of like, what am I lacking that I am projecting onto my partner that I'm expecting him to, you know, pun intended, check this box where, (laughs) you know, like why, why can't, what's going on internally? So I, I hate to answer your question with a non-answer, but, um, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so different because when you stop drinking or drink less, you meet the real you. So Mm -hmm. you might have a higher libido than you realized. You might realize you need more foreplay. You might realize that you don't even like certain positions. Those were just performative. You know, it's just, it's so complex. And I think that that is the perfect answer is that everyone is so different and there's so many other competing factors. And I just want to say thank you for being so honest and transparent. And I relate to literally everything you're saying. I like I was doing the self-medicating while I was also being medicated. So I was Mm -hmm. on an antidepressant and anti-anxiety on and off for like two and a half, three years while I was also binge drinking, drinking in excess. So that really like fucked up my libido as well. And I would almost like I was forcing myself to be sexual and to be like to get that because I didn't know how else to get that validation. So I was doing things. Not that I didn't want to do because I did consent to everything, but it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to go put on a show for an hour and then like come home. Like I'm doing, I'm a fucking Broadway performer is what it felt like. And then as I started reevaluating and fixing my relationship with alcohol, I also really got to see the effect that these antidepressants were having on my body. Mm -hmm. So I'm fully off them now, but it takes time also for that to leave your body for your body to recalibrate so yeah there's just so many layers to getting sober changing your mental health and having a healthy relationship with your body and sex it it, especially for women it's a big body and mind connection Mm -hmm. where you know i'm like i said i'm seven years sober now i've been in therapy for six years i'm a mental health advocate i'm the quote-unquote sober sex expert yeah. And I'm still struggling with all of the stuff we're talking about, you know, like yeah. there's, t- there's times when I'm, I like, I still have this default of like, oh, I should perform. And then I'm like, what? No, you, you don't yeah, have no to thanks. do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's like, the reason I share that is because like, you really just have to give yourself grace because recovery, sobriety, sober curiosity, it's all nonlinear. It is all so deeply personal. And I think whatever you're deciding to do, whether it's just a dry month or you're 20 years sober, like remind yourself that it is a journey that doesn't end. And which I find both peaceful and terrifying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and just, just give yourself that grace and, I am a huge advocate for therapy or, you know, uh, if, if therapy is not an option for you, there's so many free support groups out there. Um, talking to a friend, talking to someone that you trust, like there really is value in just talking about what you're going through, even if it's in journaling or you're talking to the, yourself in the mirror, truly like there's sometimes I work so much stuff out, talk, talking to my cat, <laughs> literally, like I just have to say things out loud and it helps me process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I share all of this because it's like, there's no wrong way to recover 
or to yeah. be sober curious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've recently started trying to journal, even just like if it's once a week, once every few days, just to get just get it out because when you hold mm -hmm. on to those things, like I feel like it actually makes you sick. It 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 can. It really can. I mean, it it made me sick, especially like you know, just just this conversation with you, like we're validating each other's experiences and yeah. that is profoundly powerful. And we're having a very frank conversation that a lot of people don't have. And hopefully listeners will feel heard as well. So it's like, you know, if this conversation is inspiring you, then like have a similar conversation with one of your friends, mm -hmm. you know, just, just talk about things and it doesn't have to be on a podcast or on Instagram, like you and I do, yeah. you know, the, the real change comes from like having these powerful conversations one-on-one. -on -one. And just removing the pressure. I yeah. feel like there's also like, even in, in movies, there's so much pressure for the woman to be so desirable, so sexual that they're having sex, penetrative sex within two seconds, she's having an orgasm. Like in what That's reality? Why, that is why I faked all the time yeah. is because, you know, I, whether it's porn or a Hollywood movie, it's still represented in the same way of as soon as a penis goes inside of a vagina, the woman comes within two seconds. And it's like, yeah. there's no talk of clitoral stimulation. Oral sex is treated strictly as foreplay, just enough yeah. to get her wet. And it's like, no, oral sex is, is its own beautiful thing that should be treated with care and compassion and love and it absolutely can be foreplay but the way that it's treated on screen is like going through the motions of like i'm gonna go down on you for 20 seconds and then yeah. i'm gonna and then i'm gonna fuck you and i'm just, yeah so like so that's the sex that i had and i was like oh well i'm not i'm not orgasming yet what's wrong with me i should exactly. fake this if he doesn't think i'm crazy yeah <laughs> like you know saying it out loud now i'm like that's so fucked, but that's how it is for so many women. Yeah. And I think it also gives like <laughs> a mediocre man, like a little too much confidence. Oh God. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be really easy to say, advocate for what you want, ask for pleasure. But if you were never taught that, how the hell are you yeah. supposed to do that? You know, like, that is why you have to spend time alone learning your body. You know, yeah, masturbation, so masturbation's okay. Not only is it okay, it's fucking amazing. And it is a magnificent tool to increase your self-confidence, increase your sex life. Just, and if you don't like it, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, which is why, you know, I also mentioned like, take yourself out on a hot date, take bubble baths. I buy myself a fresh bouquet of flowers every week, you know, yeah. like- Whatever treating, you know, treating yourself, like pamper the fuck out of yourself, whether that means masturbation or cooking a, you're not, a nice meal for yourself, whatever, whatever, whatever you're into, yeah. <laughs> do it. Set the standard for yourself, like <laughs> yes, truly what exactly. you expect from a partner. Yes, exactly. I love that. And so can you talk a little bit if there's any kind of link between sobriety and sexuality. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um I I love the conversation of really talking about the role that the gay bar serves mm -hmm. in um in the queer community. Um it's I, I talk about this in my book and I know you said sexuality, but I immediately went to like queerness. I don't know if that was sure. what you meant, but, um, you know, when, you know, I'm, I'm proudly bisexual and for the longest time, my bisexuality was connected to alcohol and I would only hook up with women when I was drunk mm. and, you know, and that's very common. It's very common for people to come out and claim their pride and their sexuality in sobriety because exactly what we've been talking about they're indulging themselves they're letting themselves be their authentic self doing the things that they used that they could only do while under the influence mm -hmm. and 
again, that's why liquid courage is bullshit because like, sure, like it gives you the, like it gets rid of your nerves, but what good is that really doing for you? Like if you need alcohol to hook, to hook up with someone, what, like what's going on? What's going on there? Do you want to be hooking up with them? Yeah. Like, do you want to be hooking up with them? Do you, do you, do you actually want to hook up with them, but you're, you're not comfortable being gay or being queer, you know, like that's the real question. Like, let's talk Mm. about that. So, you know, when I talk about how the gay bar does a disservice to the queer community, it's because, you know, like it's, you turn 18, it's a rite of passage. You go to the gay bar, you get the X's on your hands and you don't drink, but you dance and then you sneak drinks in the bathroom. And then, you know, from very early on you're sexuality, your queerness is inherently linked with alcohol. And that is it. That is so problematic because a big, a big part of my recovery was unlearning all of that and realizing I don't need alcohol to be a proud and out bisexual woman. And there's been a huge rise in sober queer spaces. You know, I, I co-host um, sober queer meetups here in New York city, because I, I want people to connect with like-minded people outside of a bar. So, um, that's my LGBT tangent. I don't know if that is what you meant. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think what you said, I've, I've had a similar conversation, um, with another, she's a sobriety and mindset coach. Her name is Amy C. Willis. She's a queer Mm -hmm. woman who lives in Toronto as well. And we had a really good conversation on a previous episode about substance use and the the idea of queer bars, how it's been Mm -hmm. ingrained in the community and how we didn't really talk so much about the sexuality aspect, but more about how it just perpetuates this cycle of addiction in the community and how people in the queer community do have higher rates of addiction. And it all, not all of it, but a lot of it can come back to the gay bar environment. Well, you know, I'm I'm so glad you did an episode on that. I'm definitely going to go back and listen. Um, I mean, it's, this is where intersectionality comes in, you know, talking about how substance use disorder impacts people of color, how it impacts women, how it impacts queer people, how it impacts trans people. So, you know, it's, it, it really is, you know, like your substance abuse is not happening in a vacuum. Your whole life is happening too. And, you know, that's so like, I'm very passionate about, about advocating for that. And, um, while researching for my book, I read this book called Ace by Angela Chen. It's about asexuality. And I read it just because I was curious, but I wasn't expecting to learn so much about myself, learning about, you know, asexuality and aromanticism and learning that a lot of asexual people actually used to drink a lot of alcohol to try to make themselves like sex to quote, be normal. And then they stop drinking and they're like, wait, I don't even like sex, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and like that blew my mind. And I related to that so much just because like, I, I, I like sex, but I relate to using alcohol to put myself in the headspace of doing something that I didn't want to do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that my question sort of had to do with I have actually seen on social media a few women that I follow come out sober women that I follow come out as bisexual and this has been something that they've uncovered or come to terms with through their sobriety so I guess I wanted to yeah just get a feel from you if it's something that you've seen if it's something that you've heard of and if that was maybe your experience yeah it's I'm glad that you opened that conversation because you know, I, I always knew I was bisexual from a young age. I was like 14, 15. I remember watching the, uh, Lenny Kravitz music video for again. And, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know, 2001. I just came home from school. (laughs) I'm watching TRL and, and I'm like, I'm looking at Lenny Kravitz and his love interest in the videos, Gina Gershon. And I was like, I want to make out with both of these people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I knew on some, I didn't know the word bisexual yet, but I knew that like, I think everyone's hot. (laughs) So 
you know, and I'm very, very grateful that I have, um, I have a gay aunt and a gay uncle. So I grew up knowing that gay is more than okay. It's just another mm-hmm. way to be. So I never felt any internalized shame. And that is huge privilege that I'm very, very aware of. And I'm very grateful that I had that positive experience. Um, but even with that positive experience, I still didn't feel bisexual enough okay. because I, I only had sexual relationships with women. I never had, I've never had romantic feelings for women. And that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about reading that book, Ace, she talks about asexuality versus aromanticism where, or really sexuality versus romanticism and sexuality. We use that word all the time. We know what sexuality means. Romanticism is talking Mm -hmm. about romantic feelings and learning that there was a word for that. I was like, oh, I am bisexual enough. Like I, I like to have romantic and sexual relationships with men and I like to have sex with women. And like for me, I probably because I'm a, a writer and I love words, but learning that there is a word for this was like, oh, okay, that helped. And that really helped me claim my bisexuality. And there, like you're talking about, there's women coming out as bi in their 30s or 40s or, you know, and they've been married. And it's like, well, what's the point? Why are you coming out now? And it's like, mm-hmm. because this is who the fuck I am. Yeah. You know, like I, I came out as bi when I was with, you know, I'm still with my partner and he knows that's a really big part of my identity and he honors that and he nurtures that part of me. And that, that means so much. Um, so I think it's, I think it's important to to say that if, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking like you might be bi or pan or queer or whatever, but you're in a loving relationship and you don't want to leave that relationship. There's so many options. I mean, you can like, I am not interested in polyamory for myself, but I know that is an option. You can talk to your partner and say, look, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm attracted to women. I would really like to explore this. And that's a conversation between you and your partner. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it might also be, I'm attracted to women. I don't really want to do anything about it. That's okay too. You know, like you don't have to activate your sexuality. You don't have to make out with a woman to be bisexual. You can, you can, you know, people die virgins and they're still sexual beings, you know, like it's, it's okay. You, you don't ever have to kiss someone of a different gender to activate your sexuality. So, um, I'll step off my soapbox now. (laughs) I'm clearly very passionate about that. You are, and I love it. But yeah, I think that what you said is like so on point is just reading that book for you, realizing that there was a name for what you're experiencing. Just, I think it just adds a level of like validity to it that, okay, yeah, these are valid feelings. Someone else is obviously going through the same thing and having the same experience because there's a name for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I love that. Uh, that book sounds good. I'm interested in reading it. Yes. I highly recommend it. I talk about it all the time. It's, it's like, (laughs) it's just, there's not a lot of resources for asexuality and aromanticism. So, um, you know, there's people that are, you know, asexual means that you're not, it can mean that you're not necessarily sexual, only sexual sometimes aromanticism, Mm -hmm. maybe you're sexual, but you don't, you don't hold romantic feelings. And these are people that might gravitate more towards um, casual sex, you know? And like, that's why I said earlier, if that's something that interests you, make sure that it's for you, you know? Like, yeah. are, are you enjoying casual sex or are you trying to get validation from these these other people, you know? And wh- whatever the situation is, you're amazing and you're awesome. Yeah. And like, there's there's nothing wrong with that, but- be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Everything is just like information gathering. Yes. Gather, gather information. Like there's so many free resources now. I mean, Mm -hmm. which is a great because there's free resources, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. So, you know, just if you are doing these deep dives, make sure you're reading accredited sources, you're reading, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with self-published books, but some self-published books are not fact checked. So just be, you know, just be aware of what you're consuming. 
Amazing. So if you had one piece of like, let's say sober sex advice, somebody's getting ready to have sober sex for the first time, what are you going to tell them? You're amazing. And you got this. And communication, communication, communication. Um, this may sound antithetical to someone who's binge, who, you know, used to binge drink um, instead of talking about your feelings. But that's the whole point. That's why we're here. Right. So it's OK to say that to your sexual partner. Like, look, this is the first time that I've had sex without alcohol. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm a little nervous. Mm. Can we just can we take it slow? Yes. And, you know, your own version of that, whatever that means for you, like that can really be a solid filter to see if this person actually cares about you or if they're just trying to get their dick wet. Yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, I, I I think, again, I've said it a hundred times, so let's, let's make it 101. You have to spend that time alone to really garner that confidence. So once you have that, let the person know that it's okay to be nervous. And it's also okay to change your mind halfway through. Like if you're you're psyched up and you're like, okay, I can do this. And it feels good. And you're, yes. you're really, you're really into it. And then maybe five minutes later you feel uncomfortable or maybe you're triggered or you can stop. Yeah. You can absolutely stop and just say, I need to take a break or at any time, at any time you can stop and you don't owe them an explanation. Um, just you have you have way more agency than you realize. I think that would be the one piece of advice. You have more agency than you realize. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I have one question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, and that's what's one thing you wish you knew about sobriety before getting sober? Ooh, I love <laughs> that. Um, I think... I think people are afraid to even be sober curious because they think I have to give up alcohol forever. And even if you're working, you know, even if you're like a, a traditional 12 stepper, who's one day at a time, that's still, that's the mentality, whether you are a 12 stepper or sober curious, whatever, just one day at a time, you know, I have seven years, but I still don't say I'm never going to drink again. I don't know. I don't like just the, that question freaks me out because like that put that I spiral and I and I think about, well, what situations would have to happen for me to drink and mm -hmm. just never ask someone that question. First of all, I people ask me, oh, so you're really never going to drink again? Don't ask that. Um, so this is a really long uh, scenic route to say. You can try it for a day, you can try sobriety for a week. You can try it for a year like I did. And if it's not for you, that's totally fine. Um, there's a new term that I'm hearing. You know, everyone's heard of dry January now. Some people are talking about damp January, okay. <laughs> which which is not drinking Monday through Friday and only drinking on the weekends. So I think whatever works for you, whatever mode of uh, sobriety feels good, try it. Lean and into it. Just try it. Like, no, like you're you're not signing a you're not signing a waiver. You're not signing yeah. anything in blood. Like there's no blood <laughs> oath here. Yeah. Um just just try it. And there's, I mean, we could do a whole other episode on non-alcoholic drinks, but like there's okay. so many yummy NA drinks that yeah. I'm obsessed with. Um just order some non-alcoholic drinks and just, just try it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, I do know. <laughs> Amazing. So where can people buy your book if they want to follow you, connect with you, read your work? What's the best places um, for all that? Yes, yes. Um, so you could follow me on all of the social medias, Tawny M. Lara, and my website's tawnylara.com. Um, I co-host a podcast called Recovery Rocks, where we talk about recovery and rock and roll. And my book comes out in September. It's called Dry Humping, A Guide to Sex, Dating, and Relationships Without Alcohol. So, um, and that's going to go on pre-order soon. So if you want to, and you know, follow me on Instagram. I post tons of content about sobriety, sober sex, 
um, all of the things. So uh, like we mentioned, there's lots of free resources out there. Sober Instagram is wonderful. There's a lot of really, really good stuff. Amazing. And I'll include all those links in the show notes so people can easily find you and connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Such a good conversation. I'm sweating. So thank you. (laughs) Happy to make you sweat. (laughs) This is Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at donewithdebauchery. Thanks for listening.